Thank you for joining us for the Midweek Bible Study with Dr. David Wilson. Now let's join Dr. Wilson for a more in-depth study of the Word of God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, if you're watching us online, there is a place somewhere on that website right there in front of you, you notes or something, you can click on the notes and find them. Um, had someone ask me about that today, and you can see them online. A lot of people are still watching us online. I, I got another email from Scotland this week from them watching the broadcast on television, and, and then another sweet lady in town. It, it's amazing the, the way God is using the ministries from here, from right here from this church. Second Thessalonians, I'm going to reread part of what I read last week just to keep it all in context. Verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or, all, and, or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And, when the, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness." There was a priest and a pastor from a local church that were standing by the road, pounding a sign into the ground that read, the end is near, turn yourself around now before it's too late. As a car came past them, the driver rolled down his window and he said, leave us alone, you religious fanatics. And from the curve, they heard screeching tires and a big splash. The pastor turned to the priest and he said, do you think the sign should just say bridge out? <laughs> the end is near. Most of us in this room can remember the statement, look up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman. Chances are you've seen a Superman movie or you've read a comic book. The Superman comics actually debuted in 1938. And the cost of the comic book was 
10 cents, a dime. A couple, several summers ago, a man by the name of David Gonzalez bought a rundown house in Minnesota. He paid $10,000 for the house, and while he was removing a wall, he found an original 1938 Superman comic book that had been stuffed in the wall for insulation. Now, it wasn't in great shape after all these years, but he sold it to a collector for $175,000. We're gonna look at a Superman tonight, but it's not that Superman. I call him Satan Superman. Adrian Rogers had a unique way of expressing truth, and here's how he described the Antichrist. He said, world history began with the sin of man, it will end with the man of sin. There are some people who tell us that man sprang from the beast, that man sprang from the beast. Man did not spring from the beast, man is headed to the beast. Man is headed to the Antichrist, that last world ruler who is Satan's Superman. So I borrowed that phrase from him. Now I told you last week, we, talk, we, got, we talked a little bit about this, well, I talked about how you know you hadn't been left behind and you haven't been left behind, it's good for you to know that. The rapture has not occurred yet. But in the process, we talked a little bit about the Antichrist, but that's what the focus of this entire passage is tonight, is the Antichrist. In John's letter, first and, letters first and second John, the Antichrist is mentioned four times. But in Revelation 13, John calls the Antichrist a beast. He's known as the beast because he, his behavior is going to be inhumane. When Jesus comes to rapture the church, there's going to be chaos. Millions of Christians are going to mysteriously disappear. And you can imagine the global chaos that's going to take place. And then there's going to one out of the chaos, there's going to come a leader. Somebody that people are going to follow. And he's going to orchestrate peace for a while. He's going to consolidate all the governments of the world. And so for a few moments, let's look at him. First, let's talk about his description. What do we refer to, or what are we referring to when we refer to the Antichrist? Well, he's a man that's going to appear on the world scene in the last days before the second coming of Jesus to the earth. That's not the rapture. The rapture is the snatching away. Then begins the 70th week of Daniel. At the end of that week, Jesus Christ will return. But in that 70th week, that seven-year tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to be active. And the Old and New Testaments describe him as the very incarnation of evil disguised as a visionary, dynamic person. He's going to astound the world with his solution to human problems. His empire is going to span every continent, and his rule will be the most demonic rule that the world has ever experienced. He's going to rise to world domination by declaring himself a man of peace, but later on he's going to bring the whole world into war. He's going to control the global economy. He's going to force his followers to receive some kind of mark on their forehead and hand or hand. 
It's not the vaccine. <laughs> Interestingly enough, most of the world's going to be willing to take the mark. And those who do not receive the mark are going to be hunted down and many of them will be killed. And for a short time, of, he's going to be the most powerful man on earth. And at the apex of his career, he's going to launch an all-out attack on Jesus Christ and his people in a place called Megiddo in the Valley of Jezreel, which is in central region of Israel. That battle is known as the Battle of Armageddon. His reign of terror is going to come to an end right there because he's going to be destroyed by Jesus Christ as he returns to the earth. Now, a lot of people are wondering, how could the Antichrist come to worldwide power? Some people have their image of the Antichrist as some lunatic from a horror movie long stringy hair, an axe in one hand, a machine gun in the other, couple of teeth missing. <laughs> but he's not somebody that escaped from a mental institution. To the contrary, he's going to be the leader that the world without Christ and without Christians has been looking for. I'm sure he's going to be well-educated He'll probably be witty and warm and very charismatic. He's going to claim to have the best interest at heart. And that's why the world's going to welcome him. One pastor described him this way. He will have the good looks of John Kennedy, the folksiness of Ronald Reagan, the inspirational power of Winston Churchill, the leadership of Franklin Roosevelt, the vision of Abraham Lincoln, the military prowess of Douglas MacArthur, the respectability of Gandhi, the charm of Will Rogers, and the genius of Albert Einstein. They're going to follow him. And if you don't believe that's going to happen, look at what's going on in the world today. I mean, we haven't got anybody close to that, but they're following him. He's going to be one irresistible human personality, and to top it all off, he's going to be energized and powered by Satan. He's the ultimate angel of light masquerading for a time as a benevolent leader. Soon the truth's going to come out. Now, notice several descriptions about him here in the passage. In verse 3, he's called the man of sin or the man of lawlessness. Notice his depravity. And the particular person mentioned here is the man of sin is the man of lawlessness or who is opposed to God. He's not going to come out right out and say it but he's opposed to God. He's called the man of sin because this is his chief characteristic. Jesus, we refer to Jesus as the man of sorrows because he was the man who had endured much sorrow. So this person is a man of sin. His very life is characterized by the blasphemous sin against God. You're also going to see his destiny, the son of perdition. When Paul introduces the Antichrist, he announces his destruction in verse 3. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction is the son of perdition. He's doomed. 
He's already doomed. And one meaning of the word means to get rid of. When we use the word disposed or to get rid of or doomed, we, we throw it away. We call it disposable. We have disposable diapers and disposable razors. And, and just so you know, Satan and his supermen are disposable because God's going to dispose of them forever. And we also see his declaration. He exalts himself in verse four, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or his worship. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Satan has always had an inferiority complex because he is inferior. He's always wanted to be worshiped. In fact, when you look in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, at one time Lucifer was a beautiful high-ranking angel and the word Lucifer means light bearer. And because he wasn't satisfied to just be an angel, he wanted to be God. And he said, I will ascend and be like the most high. I will sit on a throne higher than God's. In other words, I'm going up, up, up. And God says, no, you're going down, down, down. He was cast out of heaven to the earth. Where is Satan today? A lot of people believe he's in hell. He's not in hell. He's not there yet. He's headed there. He still has access. He's the the prince of the power of the air. He even has access to God. You see in Job, him coming before God and talking to him. But Satan's main goal is to be worshiped. What did he try to entice Jesus to do? when Jesus was tempted. You can have all this kingdom if you'll just bow down and worship me. So it's no surprise that the Antichrist will demand that people worship him as God. And during the tribulation, he will be worshiped by everyone except those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ during the tribulation period. Here's how John describes this worship. He said he, in Revelation 13, verse seven and eight, he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation, and inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all those whose names have not been written in the book of life. He's the exact opposite of Jesus. Let me give you a few references. The Lord Jesus humbled himself, Philippians 2.8. The Antichrist exalts himself, 2 Thessalonians 2.4. The Lord Jesus Christ came to serve and to save, Matthew 18.11. The Antichrist comes to domineer and destroy, Daniel 11.39. Jesus Christ came to do his Father's will in John 4, 34. The Antichrist comes to do his own will, Daniel eleven thirty six. 36. Jesus Christ is a lamb and a lion, Revelation 5, 5 and 6. The Antichrist is like a lamb and a dragon, Revelation 13, 11. The Lord Jesus has a bride, Revelation 21, 9. That's the church. The Antichrist has a bride, Revelation 17, the great harlot, the false church. The Lord Jesus was and is God, John 1.1. 1, 1. 
The Antichrist claims falsely to be God, 2 Thessalonians 2, 4. And then the Lord Jesus exalts God, John 14, 28. The Antichrist blasphemes God, Revelation 13, 6. He's the complete opposite of Jesus Christ. And yet the world in its lost state is going to follow him. So you see his description. Now, let's look at his deception. In verse 9, it says, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Several things about him. He's going to be outwardly impressive. He will seem to be the greatest warrior and statesman and religious leader the world's ever seen. You can read all this in Ezekiel 28, verses 3 through 7. He's also referred to in the following scriptures. Daniel 7, verses 2 through 27. Daniel 9, verses 25 to 27. Daniel 11, verse 36 through chapter 12, verse 3. 2 Thessalonians 2, which we're here, 1 through 12, 1 John 2, 18 and 22, 1 John 4, 3, 2 John 7, Revelation 13, 11 through 18, and Revelation 19, 20. So he's not just one spot. He's, he's referred to many times. And did you know he could be alive right now? I didn't say he was. I've known a few people that... Well, never mind. I'm just kidding. But notice, Satan's going to reach into his bag of tricks and everything he has at his disposal, and it says what he's going to do. He's going to first have power. He's going to, uh, verse 9, with all power, the dunamis, Dynamite is what we get our word from. It means inherent ability. It's often used of outward expressions of power. It's often used of deeds of power or miracles beyond normal human ability. I don't know what all that means, but obviously he's going to be impressive enough that people are going to follow him. The second thing is the signs. Now, sign is the word that means a, a distinguishing mark by something which is Known. It refers to an event as regarded as having some special meaning. People will be thinking of this man as a great leader because he claims to be God and he seems to have the power to prove it. He can do something to prove what he's saying, or at least it's going to appear that way. And then the lying wonders. The word wonders is teros and wonder or it means marvel, and this looks at the purpose of these miracles. They're going to deceive people. They're going to impress them. He's going to have a miraculous nature of miracles because he's backed by Satan. And all of these are lies designed to deceive people. Pseudos. Pseudos is the word Jesus used of Satan in John 8, 44. He's a liar. There's no truth in him. He's a liar and the father of lies. And this word often stands in contrast to the word for truth. Aletheia or Thia. People, people today are so gullible. 
Some of you have an iPhone. Now, we're way past the iPhone 7. <laughs> some of you may still have the iPhone 7. I'm not being critical of it, but there was a software, when the iPhone 7 was out, there was a software update and someone posted on Facebook claiming that the new software made the iPhone 7 waterproof. And here's what it said. The ad said, with the new features and smart formalities of iOS 7, the phone can now detect sudden changes in thermo distribution with the touch sensitivity screen and the home button. This utilizes emergency shutoff of the phone's power supply and corresponding components to prevent any damage dealt to the delicate circuitry. And guess what happened? people started baptizing their phone. <laughs> and it ruined them. <laughs> the Bible says that during the time of tribulation, the Antichrist, people are going to believe the lie. What is the lie? Jesus said Satan was a liar from the beginning and he has the same purpose to, to, to deceive, to kill, steal, and destroy. See, he's been a liar from the beginning. That's the first thing he did to Eve. He lied to her. You're not gonna die. God just doesn't want you to be as smart as him or you'll be like him. Eat of this tree, you won't die. You'll become like God. And these were the words spoken from the lips of a liar who once tried to be like God and failed. And Eve believed him and then Eve said, the serpent deceived me. The same thing's gonna happen from the Antichrist. He's going to deceive People. He's deceiving people today. There's a growing number of people who claim they don't need God. You and I believe the truth. The truth is we know we need God and we know we're separated from God. But nowadays people are deceived thinking God's either dead or doesn't exist and we can be our own gods and that's why it says in verse 11, and some people stumble over the way it's written in the English when it says God will send them a strong delusion. Now, some people have problem with that because it sounds like God's gonna make them believe a lie, but that's not what it's saying. He's saying that God's going to allow it. I mean, if you think about it, the one who created the universe has limited his power and ability to the free will of man. And so we can choose. He doesn't, he could have, he could have made Eve not eat the tree, or Adam and Eve not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but he limited that. And here's what he's saying. He's, he's going to allow it. And the reason is, it says there, is because directed against those who were perishing because they found no place in their hearts for the truth. Outwardly, he's going to be impressive. Inwardly, he's going to be deceptive. Now, I'm going to repeat something I told you last week. So if this sounds familiar, it's because it was last Wednesday. He's going to be a peacemaker. 
The prophet Daniel told us, tells us that the Antichrist would set himself up in the temple in Jerusalem and demand people to worship him. The problem is there's no Jewish temple. In AD 70, it was leveled and it hasn't been built back. And on the Temple Mount today, you find the Muslim Dome of the Rock or the Mosque of Omar, sometimes it's called. It's the third most holy place in Islam. Now, Muslims claim that Muhammad had a dream in which he rode a flying horse from Mecca to a faraway place. It doesn't say where, it just says a faraway place. And from this spot, Muhammad stepped up into paradise for a visit with Allah. Now, many years after Muhammad died, some of his followers claimed that this faraway place was Jerusalem. And so they built two mosques there. There's actually two mosques on the Temple Mount. You've got that gold dome one, but there's also another one there um, to the right of it. What's interesting is that the Quran never mentions that Muhammad ever went anywhere near Jerusalem. But when you look at this Temple Mount, and if you did an aerial look of it, you're going to see that if you're standing in front, if you're standing looking at the, well, to this side of the mosque, it's a big open area. And on that aerial photograph, you're going to look on this side over here, this wide open, straight in front of it is the Golden Gate, which indicates that's where the temple was. And, and I'm not the only one who believes that. Dr. Asher Kaufman, the professor emeritus of Hebrew University in Jerusalem, claims that's where the Jewish temple was. So a lot of people for a long time believed that, that, that um, the gold dome mosque has to be torn down for the temple to be built. But it doesn't. It can be built next to it. Maybe that's how the Antichrist is going to bring peace for a while. Maybe there'll be a wall between them, but they can still have both of them up there. We just don't know, but we do know there's going to be a temple there during the tribulation time, or at least a tabernacle of some kind. He's going to bring, he's going to bring broker peace. Now, it's, it's significant, folks, that... Our former president moved the embassy to Jerusalem. And so, you know, that's a, that's a major step in itself. But then, I told you last week, he's also going to be a peace breaker. Because halfway through the seven-year tribulation, he's going to go in this temple. He's going to set himself up there, and he's going to say, you're going to worship me. Now, see, we get right back to that time Satan wanted to be worshipped. Antichrist is going to want to be worshipped. The temple will be deserted and desolated after that, desecrated. Jesus calls it the abomination of desolation in Matthew 24. That's going to begin a time of great tribulation. The last three and a half years of that seven-year period is going to be 
horrific. He's going to be a persecutor. If you haven't taken the mark of the beast, if you haven't taken, if you haven't bowed down and worship him, you're going to be executed. And when I say you, you're not, I'm hoping you're not going to be here. In fact, I'm assuming you're not going to be here. We're going to be gone. We're going to be gone. We'll be with the Lord. We're going to come back with him. But, but people who are here that don't worship him are going to be killed. But let me show you the kryptonite for this Superman. <laughs> That's not in the Bible. Don't look for it. <laughs> Let's talk about his demise. Look at verse 8. And the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The Antichrist is going to gather all these armies of nations together to fight against Israel in a place about 60 miles north of Jerusalem called Armageddon. The Israeli army is going to be outnumbered a thousand to one. But as the battle starts, Jesus Christ, the heavenly hero, is going to come. His foot is going to stand on the Mount of Olives. I've often wondered if it'll be in the same spot it was, he was standing when he ascended into heaven. I don't know. It's just a thought. The Mount of Olives will split in two. And that's what I call a powerful touchdown. And John describes it in Revelation. Let me read it to you. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. This is in Revelation 19, verse 11 and verses 13 to 15. You know the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Martin Luther's probably his greatest hymn. And he wrote that hymn after he had had a horrible year, all kinds of issues in his life. But listen to this phrase of a mighty fortress is our God. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word will slay him. <laughs> in other words, it's going to be the shortest battle in history. Because Jesus will simply speak and the battle will be over. I don't know what Jesus is going to say, but it's going to be enough get the Antichrist to cease and desist. Let me tell you something else I was thinking about. If you've been to Israel, you know that right by the valley of Megiddo is Mount Carmel. And you can go up on top of Mount Carmel and you can look down over this valley. Napoleon called it the greatest battlefield on, on the earth. 
Mount Carmel is where Elijah called down fire from heaven, or God sent fire down from heaven to consume the, um, the sacrifice. Well, right out my side, Mount Carmel, is going to come the fire of God one more time. Now notice his disciples in verse 10. For those for whom the lying wonders are designed, they're described as those who are perishing. Among those who are perishing. You know, we think of people right now as after they die, they're going to perish. Perish doesn't mean they're going to be annihilated or disappear. They're going to be in hell. They're going to be separated from God forever. Isn't it interesting they're already perishing? Because Jesus said, I've come to give you life. I've come to give you life because you're dead in your trespasses and sin. Your, your spirit is dead. You, you have you no know, relationship. So when the spirit of God comes into you, it gives you life. And he said, I want you to have abundant life here on the earth. But people, even now, those who have the most on this earth that the world has to offer, they are already perishing. It just hasn't been finalized yet. If you think about it, we're on a, a ship that's sinking and we're trying to save as many as we can. We're trying to share the gospel with as many as we can for them to come to know Jesus Christ. And it says they're perishing in verse 10 because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Verse 12 says they did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You know, it makes us angry when we see people doing horrific things. They're asking, they're acting like lost people. Lost people are not going to act like Christians. They're going to act like lost people. The Lord put it this way in John chapter 3. Right after that famous verse 16, listen to verse 17 and following. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not condemned. The one who does not believe has been condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Now this is the basis for judging that the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil deeds hates the light and does not come to the light so that their deeds will not be exposed, but the one who practices the truth comes to the light so that it may be plainly evident that his deeds have been done in God. A lot of people, even now, are deceived. And you and I, you know why it's such a, it's so shocking to us? Because we know the truth. We can see it. You can see what's happening. 
But people who don't have the Lord in their life, they're blinded. They're blinded. And until the light of the gospel shines unto them, they like darkness. We're still the lights of the world in a community. I, I've been encouraged this week as I drive around and I see all of those vote for life signs in people's yards. I think there's another light in the neighborhood right there. I don't even know who they are, but I'm thinking there's, there's lights all over this city. But can you imagine what it's going to be like when the salt of the earth is taken off? That's us. It's going to be bad. Don't forget to vote. We need every vote. You don't think the enemy's mad? Let me tell you something. Dan Jackson called me this week. Dan Jackson's the owner, CEO of KCBD. And as you know, the opposite, the, uh, the, the opposing side to this ordinance took KCBD's logo and mailed out a bunch of stuff around the city quoting KCBD and took some things out of context but made it look like, well, the last two nights on, on the news, they've come on and said, we did not give them permission to do this. We are not taking sides on this. We do not belong. with." And I, I believed it. And then Dan Jackson called me and said, listen, I'm reaching out to some pastors. I just want you to know we're concerned about the fact that they used our stuff and it makes it sound like we're on their side. So I'm just telling you so that if anybody says anything about it, you'll know you can straighten them out on that. I told Dan I would say something in church about it because, you know, some of our broadcasts are on KCBD and um, I wanted you to know about that. I also wanted you to know, and I'll say this again Sunday, that we had another $250,000 come in toward that building this week. <laughs> so we are getting close to 500,000 already. And, and this is the third or third week or fourth, I don't know, but we're gonna make that $860,000. And I'll tell you, it's just, I just say, Lord, it, it, I wanna tell you, it's fun to be in a place where God's working. It's just fun to be here. It's fun to be part of a church like that. It really is. And you go, Lord, only you could orchestrate this kind of thing. By the way, May the 2nd, which is the, I think it's the first Sunday of May, from 2 o'clock until 5 o'clock, if you want to go over there, it's, it's going to be an open house. They're even training some of the kids in the school to take you around and show you a few places. Because I'm going to tell you, when you first walk in there, you... You could get in a, one of those cycles you'd never get out of there. Because <laughs> it's big. But uh, seriously, from 2 to 5 on May the 2nd, which is a week from this Sunday, we'll have an open house there and you can go. I, I want you to go look at it. Because when you hear me describe it, you're going to go, uh, it's not even close to what you said. It's better. I mean, you didn't even get close to that. You can't believe it until you see it. And so I want you to go take a look at it, and I believe that God will, will honor that. Well, thank you for being here tonight.
I hope you have a great evening. I want to pray and then we'll be dismissed. God bless you. Lord, thank you for your many blessings. Thank you that you've opened our eyes to the truth, that we know that Jesus is the truth. Your word is the truth. Thank you for giving us your spirit to teach us the truth and to to see what's really going on. Lord, we pray for these that we mentioned earlier. We pray for this election that's going on right now and the, the ordinance. I pray, God, that you would defeat the opposition and the, and the tactics they're using, stealing and destroying signs and misusing information. And Lord, again, the lies are evident. So I pray that people would see the truth and that we might really be a city that is a sanctuary for the unborn. We pray for our service this Sunday, and, and Lord, we're just excited to see what you're going to do next. Thank you that we get to be part of it. We love you, Lord. I thank you for this wonderful church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to watch more live streams or additional Bible studies, please go to southcrestlive.tv. We hope to see you again next week.